2: It means that we're developing an attitude of prayer. And when I talk about an attitude of prayer, it's an attitude of dependency. It's an attitude of communication around the Lord. It's an attitude of recognizing God is everywhere and I need to stay connected to him. So it's an attitude before an action. We walk in the spirit of prayer. So that means wherever we are, it's not just in our head. It becomes our lifestyle. And then take a mental break from our work or school or other activities to spend a moment in prayer. We actually not just um, do it while we're driving or do it while we're doing dishes. We're actually carving out some time that we are going to pray. And I put a moment in prayer. Would to God that it was longer, but at least stopping to pray, and not always have to be prompted by some devotional booklet. Prayer always when our minds are not upon some duty. In other words, when we don't have to concentrate. If I was a surgeon, we need to be doing surgery. If I'm working on a a math problem, I can do a math problem. But there are times that my mind doesn't have to be occupied on some duty. Maybe at that time it would be good for us to pray. First of all, to give us wisdom as we enter a duty. And maybe gratefulness because we've completed a duty. Then get up early and pray before daily activities begin. Spend worship time with God in prayer. And make this a continued practice. I think if I asked most people, would you get up earlier to pray? We would say, I am so tired, I can hardly get up in the morning. Maybe the next question ought to be, can you go to bed earlier at night? You know, instead of spending maybe some time with some of the late night talk show people and maybe some of the news people, we would spend more time with God who is designing life and permitting and we want to engage with Him in the morning. I'm, not, I'm just getting us to think that we might begin our day with an intimacy with the Lord no matter how hard that is. Now, I don't want to put you under law. I didn't say how long you had to pray. I didn't say where you had to pray and how many days of the week you have to pray. But I'm just casting a vision in front of you. Is there something that we can do that would invoke more of a devotion and a persistency to prayer? And perhaps in the morning, it might be good for us to try that in some special way, no matter how much it really hurts. Um, There's about four mornings a week that I get up at four and this, this baffles my wife, but I get up at 4, and I, I, you know, not a big prayer with the Lord, just, you know, quick little prayer in the morning. And then I exercise. And, um, and it's a good 30, 45-minute weights and jogging and all that kind of stuff exercise. It's hard to do at 4 in the morning. It's hard to get up to go someplace else and do all of that stuff. It is not easy. In fact, I hate it. It's almost like I'm doing it under all law and obligation, the thing that drives me is that I want my body to be as healthy as it can be because it's the temple. And so I do that. And it's a struggle with me, folks. But I'd also as a byproduct of that is it really makes me alert for then I arrive here at the office about 5, 5.30 in the morning and then I can have my quiet time with the Lord. And it's not that I don't have a life full of pressure. There's so much going on in my world, my ministry world, our family like you all have, issues that are going on. But I'm telling you that little bit of time that I have in the morning... I try to read 10 pages of scripture and read through the Bible in a year, every year, done it for 45 years to have my time with. I'm not great. Do I miss some days? I do. I miss Friday morning. I had so much to do I didn't get to it. So Saturday morning I set aside some things I wanted to do. I wanted to wash the car. I got so much bird on it that I, I got to get it off. Just, but I needed the time in the word because it's the weekend and it's time to face you and face God. And I wanted to be where I can be. It's a struggle. But that's part of the being the persistence we have to do it even when we feel like it. We have to do it when we don't feel like it. We have to do it until we do feel like it. And the last is to perhaps pray before going to bed at night. I'm reminded of people like Daniel in the Bible and David in the Bible who often would pray three times a day. Now, I don't think they just prayed those three times. I think they were in that attitude of prayer and communion with the Lord often. But they did carve out some times three times a day, and they did that. I'm wondering if that was something that would cause them to have to shut out the world. Watch this now. Shut out the world, get alone with God, and really pray to the Lord. And when you do that, here's what's not happening. I'm not getting that email written. He's not sharpening his sword What's happening out there is that you are having to depend upon God to still keep your life together while you have that time with the Lord. If we don't, then we're thinking, we can solve these problems. We've got to get ready. We have to be prepared. We gotta... And so all of us about us so that we can succeed. And I'm not against making lists and having objectives and things that got to get done. We all have those lists and some of us need to have more, I know. But it's when we do so much of that, we rely too much on us rather than, Lord, I cast all of this upon you. And maybe... Just maybe that is the reason, the biggest reason that the Lord gave the Old Testament law that Saturday was the Sabbath. You didn't do anything. That means you had to leave stuff undone for the next day. That was demonstrating an opportunity for you to be intimate with the Lord, but also a dependence upon God to take care of the things that you didn't do on Saturday. Maybe it was also helping your health as well. That all being together, that's the persistence in prayer. Carol and I were um, invited along with Pastor Dennis and Vivian to go to a pastor appreciation luncheon from one of the radio stations here in, in Honolulu. And when we were there, they had Greg Smalley speak. He's the son of the other Smalley that's so well known. And he was speaking on developing intimacy with your wife on some very practical levels. And he said, it's important for you to engage with your wife, your mate, four times a day. He said, the first time is basically when you get up in the morning. The second time is when you say goodbye to your mate. The third time is sometime in the middle of the day. Text, call, do something to try to engage The last time is either when you come home, which is the best time, or when you finally go to sleep at night. So at least you have four times. And he says, they have been doing this now, and it has brought great closeness in their relationship. When they were connecting with one another, not about, don't forget to bring home some bacon. No, don't forget to bring home the bread. Did you fill the car up with gas? It wasn't all of that. It was, they focused on each other four times during the day. It was short but focused as they did that. It strengthened their relationship. So I thought, that's, that's pretty cool. Let's see if Carol and I can do that. So since that luncheon, or that dinner rather, we have been really working on that special engagement in the morning. I'll get up, I'm gone. Carol gets up a little bit later. She calls me when she gets up. We have our morning time of I love you and all of that, and then we move on with life. I believe even after 45 years of marriage, there was an extra layer of icing put on our relationship. Now let me step away from that. That's just humanly. And I'm grateful for that because if, you know, if you're not happy at your home, I don't know how you can be happy in anywhere else in your life. So it's important to have that. But how much better it is that when you wake up in the morning, you engage the Lord. Throughout the day, you're engaging the Lord. When you have a time away from your daily routine, you engage the Lord as short as it might be. And before you go to sleep at night, you are thinking and praying and communing with the Lord as you drift off into Never Never That's a wonderful experience. See if that might help you. And that's part of being devoted to prayer. Let's look at what else prayer will do to impact your world. So it starts with our devotion with the Lord, our intimacy with God. Prayer that is alert. Here it says, keeping alert in it, and that it refers back to the context to prayer. Well, that word alert there is a word that also is translated in many of your translations, the word vigilant. It's kind of a military term to be Vigilant. It's like someone who might be um, a soldier that's on sentry duty. The rest of the soldiers are now, they're resting because they need to get strong for the next day. But the other sentry duty is to watch out to see if there's anyone coming so they're to be vigilant. Now, you might read the word vigilant, as some people might, that vigilant just means that you're awake. I don't believe it merely means that you're awake. I believe the word vigilant in scripture clearly teaches from the original language that it means that you are more than awake. You are completely alert and aware and focused. If you want to write that in your margin, I'm fully awake. I'm focused. I'm alert. So as you look at these things, you would see where that might be. Now, I thought the scripture would be nice to see if there's an example. And there is an example all of us have seen so many times. In Matthew, Mark, and Luke, all three of those gospels refer to the very same story. If you remember, Jesus is in Gethsemane then. And this is before he goes to the cross. He takes the guys with him. One guy's already gone, so they've got 11. Then he takes three of them a little bit further away, and he says, I want you to sit here, and he goes off and prays. He prayed so hard that he sweat, and his sweat looked like drops of blood. It didn't turn into red blood. It was just big blobs of blood. It wasn't just a little bit of trickle. He was sweating so much praying. Then he moves back to where the three guys were, Peter, James, and John, and when he does, they're asleep. And he says the first time, he says, Could not you watch and pray, be vigilant and pray? Could not you do that? So the first time he didn't tell him to pray, but this time he's assuming, wouldn't you be watching and praying and you're not? So he leaves him alone, he goes back, prays some more, comes back, sees him again, goes back, comes back the third time, and he says the same thing, would not you watch and pray? That's what the word vigilant really means. Now how does that fit into the prayer part? Well, sometimes when we pray, I think we might go through the motions of prayer. I remember when I was a young kid, a very young kid, I didn't know Christ the Savior. My, my sister and I would um, try to say our prayers together. And we would try to say them. And, I, and I, I told her how to pray. I was already preaching then when I was seven or eight. wasn't even saved. This is how you pray, Marianne. This is what you do. And then I said, okay, now to make this fun, we're both going to pray at the same time and see who can get through the prayers the fastest. Alright? And so then we said, on your mark, get set, go. And I'm praying. I'm praying for all of our little pet fish that we had and all of our little animals and all of this stuff. And she's praying for, you know, whatever she had on her list along with mine. And for whatever reason, can you imagine who got done first? Who do you think would get done first praying? Moi. Because I just talk fast, I guess. So I get done. And then I had the wonderful epiphany that... That you cannot pray at the same time. And I said, Marianne, this is really wrong. We should not be praying at the same time because God can only hear one of us at a time. Now, my theology was way off. So, in a sense, I could tell you that I was awake when I prayed, but I wasn't vigilant. I wasn't focused. And, of course, that's a little child's prayer. But how many of us are the same way? We can be awake, but we're not really focused. We can be talking to God, but really not talking to God There's not that act of true vigilance when we do that. I can imagine that even some soldiers that would be off there sleeping in their little cots or whatever they slept in, and then some might even be awake, but they're not the ones that are called to be vigilant. Those that were are the ones that are vigilant. Why are they? They are to be listening. They are to be watching every little sound. We have a dog like that. His name is Koa. Koa is a strange dog. So strange that when we watch television, our dog will sit there, the whole television program, and watch that television program with us. I'm serious. Belinda stays at our house when we're out of town, and that dog will watch television. And he's watching. Because anytime a dog or a cat or another animal shows up on the screen, our dog, like a bullet, goes right up to the screen of the TV, jumps up on the screen. This little eight pound toy poodle is going to take on every animal that's there. What's my point? It's that he is so vigilant, he is going to watch. He's not sleeping. He is focused. He has a job. He's got to protect us from television animals. All right, so they're all out there. Now let's talk about you and me. We are in a war. We talked about that earlier. But how vigilant are we when we're praying? Do we have our list? Do we know how to pray? We already know to whom we're to pray. We're hearing that we need to be persistent in all of this. But now we really need to be awake to the situations of the people that are around us. I mean, I want you to think this room is full of people and each one of the people that are in here are carrying a tremendous amount of needs that those needs at any time could change their life forever. And so we carry that in our heart. That's what intercessory prayer is all about. We're vigilant of what's happening. And so in this passage, it speaks to that. And I like because it says keeping vigilant, keeping alert, which implies to me that we have a propensity not to be vigilant. So for some of us in here today, this is important for us to hear this message, to be reminded to be vigilant. We need to keep on being vigilant. It's like continually being devoted. We're continually being vigilant in prayer in the context of what it's like. So I pray that that might be very much a part of our life. So are we that vigilant as we should be? The third is prayer must be thankful. I won't park a lot on this because I do believe most of you already know that our prayer is to be thankful. What is interesting is that the idea of thankfulness is found at least four to five times in the book of Colossians alone. And four of those times it wraps itself up around the idea of prayer. So there's a thankfulness when we pray to the Lord as we do that. So there's that spirit of gratefulness to the Lord, an attitude of gratitude. So we're to be persistent, we're to be alert, and we're to be thankful. But now we move into the next part of this passage, and it talks about praying for others. And he talks about praying for him, but also to pray for us, and so it goes beyond that. So it talks about praying for others, and this is where I wanted to bring our message to the, to the, to the meat of it. This is the filet mignon. This is having an impact on the lives of others. We need to be persistent in our praying. We need to be alert while we're praying for others. At the same time, we'd be grateful, but finally we need to pray for others. Let me take you through that passage of Scripture again and see how it talks about the connection with others. If you will, pick it up now at verse 3. It says, praying at the same time for us. You might circle the word us, so it's not just him, but it is us. So pray for others. Pray for us, pray for you, but pray for us as well. When it says pray for us as well, it's implying now that it's a bigger audience about which they're praying. So it's as well as you, as well as us, you pray for people. And what do you pray? That God will open to us a door for the word so that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ for which I'm also in prison. In other words, I took a stand for Christ and it brought persecution and incarceration. That I may make it clear, and that's where we got the name of the radio ministry, in the way I ought to speak. That I may make it clear. The idea is taking the mystery of Christ, particularly to the gospel, not only the gospel, but particularly the gospel, and to get that message out to other people and to do it in a clear and proper way. So now what I want to do is I want to give you four dynamics of praying when you are going to pray in evangelism. So right now for a moment, I want you to, in your own mind's eye, I want you to pick out somebody that you know that does not know Christ as Savior, that you would desperately want them to come to faith in Jesus Christ. I grew up in a home where nobody was saved in our home. Nobody knew Christ as Savior. I had no model, no mentor. We didn't even have a family that was religious. In fact, I'm second generation and the two generations before us fled Europe to get away from any religious persecution to come to America just so they wouldn't have to have any involvement with religion at all. And that's what I grew up with multiple generations. So the sovereignty of God working in my life is incredible because I'm kind of like the oddball out. All right, now, that being said, they didn't know Christ as Savior. And it was through what I'm going to share with you right here that brought my family to know Christ as Savior. Now, let me give you this caveat. Not everybody in our family has heard the gospel from Stan and Carol. I think a lot of them have heard the gospel and have received gospel tracts, but they haven't all. I've given them a blow-by-blow blanket prayer, Lord, save my family kind of thing, but I haven't prayed for, and I don't want to name names because this is going to go on the radio, but each of them by name. I have done it with my mom, my dad, they came to faith in Christ. I did it with my sister, she came to Christ. I did it with my brother, he came to Christ. But the extended family, to tell you stories about them, they're as lost as as probably a lot of your family are. In a couple weeks, Carol and I are going to Orlando, not to Disney World at all, but I'm speaking in Orlando, a number of different groups. And after that's all over, it's my brother's 80th birthday. I know I don't look that old, but he's 80. And they're going to have what they call a Pons family reunion. Now, to you, that doesn't mean anything because you have your family time on Sunday nights. Most all of you do, or some of you do. We've never had a family reunion. They're flying in from Minnesota and other parts of the country just to celebrate, in a surprised way, my brother's birthday. Well, again, because of the gift of gab, they said, Stan, why don't you put the slideshow together? Why don't you do the MC... And so I have a captive audience for two hours at this dinner to be able to present to them in a very loving way the plan of salvation. Watch. To me, it's going to be a little difficult because they're family. I get that. It won't be that difficult because they're all going to fly back. Nobody's coming to Hawaii so I don't have to see them every week. Okay. But the real issue is is that I can rely so much on my experience of presenting the gospel in all different situations that I don't need prayer. I've been there, done that, know how to do it, got the family, they like me, they want me to do this, they gave me the microphone, bing, bang, boom, I'm done. I'm going to tell you that I can go with the right message and God can still do whatever he wants in all of that, but I will go powerless if I don't have prayer. And so what I'm going to be doing is what I'm teaching you right here. And so I want you to be remembering us in early September when I'm sitting or standing or whatever at this restaurant with the whole family And I want to submit this to you that this is a biblical way for you to pray for those people that you want to have an impact upon your world with your family. So let's do it a little bit differently. Instead of just doing it expositionally here, which I will stay in scriptures always, but not so much here, I'm going to try to give it to you in a sequential order of what you might pray first. And pray this, and then this, and then this, and then this. Now, that order is my order. It's not God's order, it's my order, my suggested human wisdom order I'm submitting to you. On the other hand, it is biblical on each one of these points, just the order is what I'm submitting to you. So know that God can go around my order anytime he wants, but he will never go beyond God's word. So let's look at it. So what do I do first? We want to pray for others and ourselves in the process of communicating the gospel. We want to pray for others and we want to pray for ourselves. That's what we get, they pray for us as well, portion of scripture. But I wanted you to leave here for a moment, if you want to, in your own Bible, and go to 1 Timothy, if you will. 1 Timothy. I'd like you to turn to 1 Timothy chapter 2. Again, I want to show you prayer as it involves with impacting unsaved people. Okay? You want to make an impact on their lives. If you will look in verse 2 of 1 Timothy, and you can have your pen ready. Paul is now writing not to a church. He's writing to a pastor, and he's telling a pastor what he needs to do as a pastor and how he needs to lead his church. So he says to him in this writing, First of all, then, I urge that entries, prayers, petitions, and thanksgiving, notice how thanksgiving is wedded in with prayer, be made on behalf of all men. Now, I don't want you to think it's the masculine context. I want you to think all people. So he says, I want you to pray all kinds of prayers, first of all, for all people. And then he says, if you go a little bit further, drop down, if you will, in verse 3. This is good. What he says in verse 2, what he says in verse 1, and now what he's going to say in verse 4. This is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved. Now, it doesn't say that he will make all people be saved. That is his desire that all people be saved. Not all of them will be saved, it is his desire for them to be saved. And then it says, more than just being saved, but to come to the knowledge of the truth. So he just doesn't want them to have spiritual fire insurance from hell. He wants them to have an intimate relationship with Christ by having full, accurate, experiential knowledge of truth. God's word, the truth. So he wants all of that for the person. So what you're going to begin doing now is you're going to now be praying and you can divide up those types of prayers but you're praying for those people that they would come to faith alone in Christ and then to go on to become a fully obedient worshiper of God based on truth. If you all understand that, say, "Uh uh-huh. Got that. Now, what I did, if you look on your sheet there, is I divided up your categories of people into four categories. This way it might help you to identify some of the people you could begin praying for. The first one would be friends. And so for a moment, if you will, either write the initial down or somebody who's your buddy. Somebody who's just a friend. Fits no other category other than you might have grown up with them. It's a friend. The second one would be a relative. For me, I've got this family reunion. So for right now, my, my laser focus is on them. It's not restricted. I'll pray for others that are unsaved. But for right now, my relatives and the ones that will be at this reunion because I know that a majority of them don't know Christ as Savior. So I would be putting their names down. I am praying for all men. I am praying for them by name. All right. The third would be associates. And that would be the ones you work with or the ones that you go to school with. They could even be the ones upon which team or committee you're with. If you're on a board or something, your associates, you need to put their name. I'm going to pray for them. Not just a, a general, Lord, save them, and by the way, what's for dinner, honey? No, it's a real deep, vigilant, alert, devoted prayer for these people. And then the last would be a neighbor. All the different neighbors that you have. So far, we've had the privilege of inviting our neighbors to various functions here that we've had for them to be able to hear the gospel. Not all of them know Christ as Savior, but one thing I can tell you is that they know they're loved by the Ponds family. And we pray that through that, some measure, we can communicate the message of salvation before they die or before something might happen to us. So you want to pray for your neighbors. I don't know where you are in your level of understanding of the sovereignty of God, but God is so big that it's... It's where he brought you into that neighborhood as his spark plug, as his lighthouse. He put you in that neighborhood knowing that that neighborhood of life is filled with a lot of rocks and problems and tumultuous seas. And he put you there as a lighthouse. And so all the people he brings, all the ships that he brings into you, is somehow for you to communicate the gospel to them. And it begins with praying. So you're praying for for them. You pray for them. You pray for them. You pray for them. I remember hearing a testimony of one preacher who told a story about how many times he had prayed for someone and then he died. Not, not the man died, the preacher died. I heard subsequent chapters about that pastor who prayed for the unsaved person and how that unsaved person came to know Christ as Savior after the preacher even died, after he prayed for him. I only kept thinking, I wonder what heaven's going to be like when the preacher's up there and he sees everybody, he kind of knows, and all of a sudden this guy who wasn't saved before gets saved after he dies, and there he is. What kind of a reunion that might be. So I'd encourage you to pray for them by name. And I'm going to tell you, it works. You pray by name. The second would be after you prayed for them by name, don't stop there. Now you want to pray that a door of opportunity would be given to you so that you can actually open your mouth and begin to speak the mystery of Christ. So you're going to ask for an open door. If you go back to the passage in Colossians chapter 4, it says that God will open up to us a door for the word so that we may speak for the mystery of Christ. So you want God to open the door, you want God to open the door, you want God to open the door so you can speak, you want God to open the door so you can speak the gospel, the mystery. I'm going to center down on that. So what you're doing is saying, Lord, you've got to do the door thing. I've got to see the door thing. I've got to speak. And what I've got to speak is not about, how about them rainbows, you know? I'm going to speak about the gospel. Now, so you're asking God to do that. And let me tell you, most people don't mind praying for someone to get saved, but they would rather have someone else be the answer to that person's salvation. Did you catch what I'm saying? They won't give them the gospel, but they want someone else to do that when God says, you need to do this.
1: You're listening to Make It Clear with the teaching of Dr. Stan Pons, founder of Make It Clear Ministries. Make It Clear is dedicated to taking the Word of God with clarity into every person's world. It is the support of listeners like you who make the ministry of Make It Clear possible.